Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Hello friends, if I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Brian, and I'm excited to be with you this weekend. It's always a privilege and an honor to share God's word. And so last week, Pastor Garrett brought us to a place where he posed a question to us as a church. He said, are you willing to allow God to change your story? Are you willing to allow God to do something new through you? Because what I've seen is that oftentimes people know that God is capable of changing their stories. They're just not sure if he wants to. And maybe you're coming into church this weekend and your family is an absolute mess. And I'm not going to have you put your hand up in the air because that'll make it worse. <laughs> maybe you're coming into church this weekend and you feel like you got nothing left to give. And nothing left in the tank. You are on empty. And if you're really honest with yourself, if you look in the mirror and have a conversation, it's been that way for five years and you're not sure that you're ever going to get your joy back. Maybe you're coming into church and you feel like you're losing control of all the things that you care most about in life. And you're just hoping that nobody realizes how broken you feel. And you know because you're a good Christian and you know scripture that God can do immeasurably more than anything that you could ever ask or imagine. So you know that he could change your situation if you wanted to, you're just not sure if he's willing. If he sees your situation, if he cares about what you're going through. And if that's you this week, I wanna to speak directly to your situation, to whatever it is that you're going through, to your pain. My prayer all week has been that this story of Joseph, as we conclude this Genesis series, it wouldn't simply be an encouragement to you, but rather that it would allow us to draw into a deeper level of trust in God's plan because God's plan is perfect. And so I would love to start with prayer. So if you would bow your head with me. Lord God, what an honor it is to be in your presence this morning. God, 
How lucky are we that you would allow us to come in and sing songs about you. Just a bunch of broken vessels, God, who come together and you use us in your perfect plan. God, what an honor it is. We thank you, God. We give you our attention this morning. We give you our expectations. We give you our situation. We know that you are in control. God, would you allow what we already know about you to resonate so deeply in our heart and our core of who we are that it transforms the way that we view the world and how we view you? God, would you allow us to fall more in love with you so that we could begin to look more like you? We love you so much, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, so my wife, Kristen, and I are expecting our first child um, coming in October. Yes, I was going to wait until you cheered for me, so better now than later. Uh, we found out a couple months ago that it's going to be a sweet little girl. And so I've been believing God that her sweet little girl, uh, that, that, that her first word is going to be dada. And I've been doing a little bit of work, much to the mind of my wife. I've been um, talking to her belly starting this week, and I've been saying, say it with me, little girl, dada. <laughs> dada. And so I've been making sure that she knows what the expectations are. Um, but, but we're really excited. We're convinced that she's going to be the most beautiful, intelligent, capable, confident, beloved, empowered daughter of God that this world has ever seen. And we're also knowing that she's going to be one of the most sheltered little girls that ever lived. <laughs> I made an executive decision that she will have no contact with boys until age 30. <laughs> and that's a non-negotiable. We're at 30 weeks in our pregnancy right now. And what we're beginning to learn is this, that pain is a lot different when it's pointed towards a purpose. That sickness is a lot different when there's new life on the other side of it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I know we haven't even gotten to the hardest part of our pregnancy, but going into it, we are focused on the present, but we're completely aware that this process that we're in is not for nothing. This isn't some masochistic pursuit that we're going through so that we can get a gold star because we were faithful through a bunch of pain. We know that there's new life at the other side of it. That the discomfort that my wife has experienced, uh, the first time I, I wrote this, I said that we're experiencing, but I know that that is completely untrue because it is pain that my wife is experiencing thus far and will continue to experience has a purpose. It has a direction. It has an outcome on the other side of it. And so this week, as I've been looking at the story of Joseph, I've been praying that we as a church could start to understand that the pain that we're going through has a purpose as well. It has a direction. It has an outcome on the other side of it. That we could realize that, and this is in your outline, that sometimes God changes our circumstances, and other times God uses our circumstances to change us. Sometimes God changes our circumstances, but other times he uses them to change us. And although there's nothing I could ever say or do that would lessen the scale or scope of what you're going through, I believe that God sent you here this weekend to be reminded that nothing is wasted with our God. That every tear, every fear, every situation that you are in will serve a greater purpose if we allow God to use it. So we're going to look at this story of Joseph. I'm going to get us caught up as quickly as I know how so that we can get to the heart. And so we've got Joseph 
who's the son of Jacob. And Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And to show his love and affection, he gives him this beautiful coat. Like, it is really nice. Like, it's, like I can't overemphasize how great this coat is. You would want one of these coats. And so this displeased his brothers because nobody likes being looked over, right? Nobody likes when somebody else is the favorite and you're just sitting there like, like what about me? So in addition to a coat, Joseph receives a dream from the Lord. And in this dream, all his brothers bow down before him. And since Joseph had unbelievably low self-awareness, the first thing that he does is he tells the brothers that already hate his guts about this dream where they're all bowing down before him. And it doesn't go well for him. He has another dream. This time, it's the sun and the moon and the stars that are all bowing down. So it's not just the brothers anymore. It's the whole family. It's the cosmos are bowing down before Joseph. And in his infinite 17-year-old wisdom, anyone ever been there before? This is going to be a great idea, said 17-year-old me, never. He tells his whole family about this dream where they're bowing down before him. And that was it for his brothers. So we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. So they throw him into this cistern, which is this big tank for water. And there was no water in it. Scripture says that I think it's just a funny little detail. But at the last second, his brothers decide, you know what? Rather than kill him, why don't we make a couple shekels? Why don't we make a couple bucks? So they instead decide to sell him into slavery. Scripture says when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt, where he would serve under the house of Potiphar. So, so thus far, things have not gone well for our friend Joseph. He's got a lot of relational dynamics that are not playing into his story in the way that he had anticipated or hoped. His dream that he got from the Lord is not starting the way that he expected it to. And yet, through it all, Scripture says God is with him, so everything that he touches increases. The name Joseph actually means in Hebrew, God will increase. So Potiphar eventually sees the blessing over Joseph's life, and he gives him the keys to his castle, and everything that Joseph touches under his leadership increases. God adds to it. Until Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, wrongly accuses him, and gets him thrown into prison. And in prison... There's this guy, this inmate, who has a dream, and Joseph interprets his dream, and he says, you're going to be set free in three days. And the guy said, that's great. That's awesome. And so this other guy who's in jail, he really likes Joseph's positive outlook on life. He says, this guy's a real optimist. And so he decides, hey, I'm going to show you my dream as well. And he gives him his dream, and Joseph says, you're going to die. You're going to get impaled. He said, but, but you were so optimistic before, if I could just have his story. But they both end up coming completely true. And when the guy gets set free, who happens to be the Pharaoh's chief cup, cup bearer, chief cup bearer, chief cup bearer, Joseph says, remember me. He says, remember me. I have a dream. I'm not supposed to be locked up here. God created me for more. Remember me. The chief cup bearer says, yeah, 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 I got you. It's all good, man. I got you. I will remember you. Scripture says the chief bear, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And what I consider to be one of the saddest verses in the whole story, we read over this so quick because it's so small. It says, when two full years had passed, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. 
And maybe you've been there, maybe somebody promised something to you. They said, once I get to this level, once I start this company, once I get this promotion, I'll give you a call. But then when they got it, they forgot your number and you just were left with nothing. Saying, well, what about that? And two full years had passed. Not because you did anything wrong, but because you got forgotten. And I think that there's a lesson for us here, church. I think there's a lesson that whatever you're going through, whatever hurt, whatever relational drama, whatever pain, it might actually last longer than you think it's going to. You're saying, that's not the message I wanted preached to me this morning. I don't say that to discourage you. I actually say that to prepare you. In your outline, it says, your trial might take longer than you expect. It might. I don't want that for you or hope that for you, but it might. Maybe you had some expectations for how your life was going to look. Maybe you had a dream that got put into you when you were young. And by this point in your life, you thought that your life would look a lot different than it does. You thought that you would have a better job, a better house, a better car, uh, kids that were more well-behaved. I don't know what it was that you hoped for. Maybe you thought that by now you wouldn't still be struggling with that sin that you thought that you left in the past. So, man, by now in my life, I really thought that this would be in the rear view. Maybe you had a setback or a relapse or a curveball that put you back where you never wanted to be again. And if that's you, if that's the season you're in, I want to encourage you and say, don't give up. Don't give up. Up. So oftentimes in our story, we give up far before God does. There's more happening than we realize. Friends, you are not worthless. You are worthy. There's a purpose for the pain. And the devil, the devil would love nothing more than for you to begin to believe that you're worthless, that your pain is pointless. Because if he can do that, then he no longer has to hold your head down. You start holding it down for him. And you start forgetting about the dreams that God put in you when you were 17 years old because you're too busy looking at your feet. Scripture says when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. And through that two years, Joseph didn't forget that there's more to the story than your situation. And this dream that the Pharaoh had changed everything for Joseph. He correctly interprets Pharaoh's dream and gets put into a position of power. He creates an empire because everything that Joseph touched increased. And through Joseph's leadership, this empire became the only place in the region with food. So his brothers come to buy food for their families without realizing that it's Joseph that they're buying from. And after messing with his brothers for a bit, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, and they are terrified. Can you imagine the kid brother that you sold away for 20 shekels now has access to the thing that your family needs? And he reveals himself to you. But in his first encounter with his, with his estranged brothers, listen to what he says. This is Genesis 45, verses 4 and 5. He says, come close to me. So rather than send them away, Joseph draws them near. We can already see that there's a different rhythm to what Joseph's doing. 
Then he says, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. I didn't forget about that. But do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. The reason why he says that is because oftentimes we are the last people to forgive ourselves. A lot of times we'll be in this spot and if we're not careful, we're the ones who put ourselves in shackles. But Joseph says, do not live a life of regret, thinking about what you did. He goes on. He says, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. So he said, you sold me into slavery. I didn't forget about that. But, but God sent me ahead of you. There was a purpose to the pain. And that shift in perspective changes everything for us. This story of Joseph actually opens us up to a new way of seeing life. He says, my brother sold me, but then he switches gears, he switches perspective, he looks through a different lens and says, God actually sent me. You see, there's two different ways that we can choose to see the world, and one is just a random collection of moving pieces and parts randomly crashing into each other. And then the other is something that's been designed, something that's being orchestrated and something that's moving forward. And when we view our lives as a random accident, it's easy to compare cards and believe that we got the short end. Man, it's, it's easy. It is easy easy to cast yourself as the victim when you spend your time looking at people who have more money, more followers, more success, and more of whatever the thing is that you crave, that you want. It is easy to say, I am a victim because they got more than I do. But if there's a creator who's executing a plan, then it doesn't matter how big your neighbor's house is because God's got you right where he needs you. It doesn't matter how much money your friend has now that he got his promotion because God's given you everything that you need to accomplish your purpose. Joseph says, you sold me, but there's something bigger that's going on. There's a bigger story that's happening. Simultaneously, God actually sent me. And that gives me power. That gives me purpose. You took away my purpose, but God actually sent me. And he gave me something to do. Yes, it happened but it didn't happen in vain. It's the same story, but it's a different perspective. It's a different outlook. It's a different understanding. No, God did not do this to you. I can't emphasize this enough. No, God didn't do it, but God's gonna use it. God's going to recycle, repurpose, reposition so that he can get glory and fame. Church, God is bigger than you think he is, and he's working in your lives that you don't even realize. Maybe you think that you just showed up to church this morning. I've got news for you. God actually sent you here. There's a purpose for you being here in church right now. And I didn't just get scheduled to preach this week. I was thinking about this. I'm like, man, I got scheduled to preach. And I'm like, no, I didn't. God sent me to preach. He gave me a message. He gave me a purpose for being here. And if I'm honest, that changes everything for me because I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to make excuses about why God shouldn't use me. Man, it's easy to make excuses about why I'm not equipped, why I'm not qualified, why I'm too broken. It's easy for me, especially, especially here as I look out at all of you, and I, I can think to myself, 
Man, a lot of people in here have more life experience than I do. There's some people with more biblical insight than me. So why did, why did God give me the, the microphone? If it's just this random thing that's happening in the world, then it would be easy for me if my focus was myself to become insecure and wonder if God might have made a mistake by choosing me. Maybe, man, maybe I just slipped through the cracks and now I'm here. Maybe I could actually mess this thing up. And the more I think about me, the more I think about, man, maybe I should just play it safe because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to do any damage in the room. So uh, honestly, the more that I think about myself and if it's this random thing, I find myself shrinking back from the message that God gave for you. But last week I heard this message that said, you got to stop questioning why God chose you. Don't you think that if God wanted somebody else, he would have gotten somebody else? Don't you think God is big enough that if he wanted somebody else, he would have gotten somebody else by now? Don't you think he already knew all your excuses before he picked you? So stop trying to talk God out of your calling. And start trusting that God's got you exactly where he needs you. You got to trust that you're here for a reason. I've got to trust that I was sent here this morning. Because if I trust in God's plan, it actually empowers me to accomplish God's purpose. I got to say that again. If, if, if you trust in God's plan, that's the thing that emboldens and empowers you to accomplish what God would have you accomplish. It's all about trust. So back in the 1800s, there was this guy named Charles Blondin. Any Blondin fans in the house? <laughs> Just me. All right. <laughs> so he was a tightrope walker. He was a bit of a showman. He had a flair for the dramatic. He loved a good applause. And Charles was best known for stretching his tightrope across the gorge at Niagara Falls. And so people would come from all around to see him walk from one side to the other of this enormous gorge. And he was pretty incredible. He was, a, he was a talented guy. He was amazing. He did all sorts of crazy stunts. One time, uh, in, in one of my favorite stories, he, he actually carried a stove out and utensils and ingredients on his back. He walked out to the center of the tightrope and he cooked an omelet for himself. Well, everyone just applauded. Thought it was the most fantastic thing they'd ever seen. It's crazy. Then once he was done cooking the omelet, he actually lowered it down to somebody who was coming by at the Maid of the Mist, and he gave it to them. So this person on a boat underneath the gorge got to eat breakfast. What a kind man. Another time, he decided to do something different. He grabbed a wheelbarrow, and he started walking from one side to the other. And when he got to the other side... A crowd had formed, and they were all cheering and chanting his name. And since he was a showman, he decided to fan the flame a little bit. They couldn't believe how incredible the feat was that they had seen. So he said, he said, who believes that I can make it back to the other side? Everyone says, we believe. So he says again, he says, who believes that I can make it back to the other side? And they said, we believe. They were getting pretty excited by now. One last time, he said, who believes I can make it back to the other side? They said, we believe. And he says, then who's willing to get in the wheelbarrow and go back with me? <laughs> and everything got quiet. 
Nobody wanted to make any eye contact. Because it's one thing to believe when we've got our feet firmly planted on the safe ground. It's one thing to to believe when we're watching somebody else do something incredible, isn't it? But it's something completely different. When you put your life on the line for the thing you say to believe, that you believe to be true. When you actually risk something. When you put your safety, when you put your comfort in the hands of the thing you say that you believe in. Then your belief becomes trust. See, belief is passive and trust is active. God doesn't call us to a passive belief. He calls us to an active trust in him. Trust is actually belief embodied and lived out. God calls you to trust in his plan, not to say, I believe God has a plan, but to actively engage and to trust that it's true and to put your safety, your well-being, your life on the line for what God says his purpose is for you. That's why they call it a trust fall. You actually have to fall for your friends to catch you. And maybe you've had some bad experiences with trust fall and you need some new friends. They let you go a little too far. But the thing is with trust falls that I think is interesting is that even if you have really great friends that you know are going to catch you, you still feel that knot in your stomach when you fall. It reminded me of Inception when the chair, if you've ever been sitting at a table and you're, you're leaning back in your chair, I'm sure none of you guys have done this, but all of a sudden it it feels like you're going to fall and you feel like you're going to die a little bit and there's this pit in your stomach. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That pit in your stomach on the roller coaster. I would argue that that's what it feels like to fully engage in God's plan and to trust God and his purpose in your life. You know, it doesn't always feel like rainbows. Sometimes it feels like risk. Sometimes it feels like you're exposed Because every time you extend grace, you're taking a leap of faith. You're believing that God's plan is best. It's a risk. It actually leaves you feeling like you have a little pit in your stomach because you're putting something on the line. You're trusting. Which brings us to the quintessential moment of the Genesis story. And Joseph's father, Jacob, dies and his brothers are rightfully nervous about whether or not Joseph will continue to be kind to them in their father's absence. Scripture says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? What if he pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when this message came to him, it says Joseph wept. Verse 18 is interesting. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. His brothers saying, just make me your slaves. You know, I was, as I was reading this, I was reminded of the prodigal story when the son went off and 
He broke trust. He broke relationship with his family. And he came back and he was, he, he was getting ready to encounter his father. And he was coming up with this, this speech that was so compelling. He was going to ask his father, can you make me a slave? Can you make me a hired hand in your house? But the father doesn't even allow him to get the speech out. He says, go bring the best robe. Put it on him. You are not a slave, my son. You are family. But the Joseph story actually goes a little bit different. The, the brothers actually steal the robe. And they shred it. And they cover it in blood, which signifies the end of the familial relationship. And they sell him into slavery. And at the end of a series of trials and injustices and imprisonment, Joseph now has the upper hand. He has finally gotten to a place of authority. He has all the power and all the clout that he needs to crush those in his life who made his life a living hell. And the question is simply, will we use, or will he use his power to destroy, or will he extend a helping hand? Will he extend grace? Will he stretch himself? Will he trust that God's way is best? And so Joseph, still grieving the loss of his father as he considers his life, looks at his brothers who are begging to be slaves. And he says, you know, you, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So before we learn that God sent us, now we learn that God's intentions for us are good. And that changes our perspective again. Yeah, it hurt but it made you stronger. Yeah, it wasn't my preference, but I'm going to trust that it's God's purpose. Yeah, I don't like the pain, but I need the thing the pain produces in me. I need the capacity. So you actually need the people that you don't like because they grow in you a capacity to love. Because the last time I checked, the only way for muscles to grow is if they tear first. So maybe you did come to church this weekend and your family's a wreck. It's a mess. And I'm not talking about the cute kind of mess like the pictures of kids with food all over their face on Instagram. I'm talking about the real kind of mess, the kind of thing that you're in that you literally don't know if you have what it takes to get through it. What if God is using your mess to give you a message to remind you that there can't be a testimony without a test? That God's faithfulness is proven through his presence through your trials. And maybe you did come to church and you feel like you're on empty. You feel like you've given everything that you have to give. You feel like you've got nothing left in your tank and you can't remember a time that it wasn't like that. Maybe God, maybe he's trying to teach you about dependence and show you that where your capacity ends, that's where his begins. Because scripture says his power is made perfect in weakness. So when I am weak, I am strong. So I will boast all the more in the Lord Jesus Christ because he meets me where I'm at. He is my strength and my sustainer. Maybe you came to church and you feel like you've lost control over the things that you love the most. Over your children. Over your relationship. Over your emotions. Maybe all the things that you hold most dear, the harder that you clasp, the further they get. Maybe God is lovingly leading you to a place of surrender so that he can show you that those things were never yours to carry. He wants to carry them for you. He is a good, good father. He is faithful through every season. 
It's not random, friends. There is a purpose for your pain, and you might not like the scene you're in. You might not like the scene you're in, but friends, do not let your scene blind you from the story that God's telling through your life. Do not let the scene you're in blind you to the story that God's telling through your life. God's got you exactly where you need to be. His intentions are good. And I don't mean to tell you that his intentions were good to get you where you are. But I'm saying, wherever you're at, God wants to redeem, restore. He wants to, for his glory, enact a purpose that will actually repurpose whatever your pain is and use it for the glory of God. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. And just like the prodigal story, we have characters begging to be made slaves, but Joseph doesn't listen to their pleas. He says, brothers, you are not slaves. You are family. There are some things that are more important than what you did, and it's who you are. You are my kin. And because of this perspective that God has enacted in Joseph, he says, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. So instead of pointing towards the past, Joseph points towards the future where this relationship that had been broken could be restored. Where anger turns to kindness. Where exploitation turns to provision through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And this week I was driving in my car thinking about how I wanted to, to conclude this message in this series. And I had an idea, so... Um, so I asked Siri, what does the word Genesis mean? And if you don't know who Siri is, you can ask your kid and they'll tell you. <laughs> and she said, Genesis means the origin or mode of formation of something. The origin or mode of formation, the mode of formation of something. So this book of Genesis is about how we are formed in the faith. It's the mode of formation, how we are formed into the image and likeness of God, how we become the image of the invisible God. And in the climax of this book, what it all leads up to, the quintessential moment, we find a man who inherits the broken patterns and the pain and the hurt of generations past, and he has a choice. He can either choose to pay it forward, or he can trust in God and choose to stop the cycle, to stop the dysfunction for the sake of generations to come. And it kind of reminds me of this other story that hadn't been written yet, but would come to pass. A story about Jesus, who inherits all the broken patterns and all the pain and all the hurt of generations past, but rather than choosing to pay it forward, he chooses to stop the cycle, to put an end to the violence, to actually put sin in the grave for the sake of all of us so that we could be extended grace. So one could argue that we are formed. We are formed into the likeness of God as we extend grace to those who don't deserve it. The act of extending grace is our mode of formation. So, so, so guys, listen to this, if we get anything. We don't wait until we're formed to extend grace. It's the extending of grace that actually forms us. We don't wait until we are transformed to point to the purpose in our pain. It's the purpose, it's pointing to the purpose in our pain that actually transform us. 
We don't wait until we're mature in the faith to worship God in every season. It's the worship of God in every season that matures our faith. You see, there's, there's an order, there's a rhythm to this mode of formation that God has created in our souls. And yes, they might have intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Yes, Joseph would have preferred a nice nine-to-five job that didn't have any stress, and a family that didn't have any drama, and a coat that wasn't covered in blood, and a character that wasn't born out of pain, and a purpose that didn't involve slavery. But when, G- when Joseph looked back on his life, he didn't point towards the pain. He pointed towards the purpose that was accomplished through his pain. He pointed towards what God was doing in his pain the way that he was preparing and lovingly growing his capacity so when he got to a place of leadership, he could lead. He could allow God through him to increase, to add to the glory of God's name. It's all about trusting God. Joseph was in the wheelbarrow. He accepted the invitation because trust is the very thing that unlocks the perspective that allows us to see the world the way that Joseph did. And it takes trust to see beyond our situations. It takes trust to extend grace. It actually leaves a pit in your stomach because you're leaving yourself exposed a little bit. You're risking, you are growing your capacity, you're stretching. But I will trust in you, my God, for you have never failed me yet and you will never will. God is faithful. He is able, so I will pay forward the grace that was given to me through Jesus Christ because he is faithful, he is good, he is loving, he is for us, he is with us, he is almighty, he is El Shaddai. So his praise will ever be on my lips. Church, will you stand with me as we sing and we declare that we will worship God through every season because he is with us in every season and he is faithful. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.